Joining us here for a tasting notes is uh, we're going to go a little different than normal, but we're still in the alcohol world. We have Rachel Lawson, alcoholic beverage attorney. Rachel, welcome in. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that you're able to talk because, you know, we talk a lot about beer, uh, bourbon, whiskey, cocktails, things like that, all things alcohol here on tasting notes. Uh, one thing that I think people might forget, though, from time to time is how complicated of an industry this is and that's what what mm-hmm. you're here to hopefully shed a little light on because the the tt or the treasury's report um kind of looking at all these industry factors was just released recently and i mm-hmm. figure why don't we start there and um go with what was your biggest takeaway from that report that might have some real impact on on the everyday consumer Sure. So I'm not sure how much background people have or you're saying Treasury report and if people even know. So just briefly, in July of 21, um, Executive Order 14036, if you want to look it up, um, directed the Treasury to evaluate the alcohol market for any competition issues. And it is titled Promoting Competition in the American Economy. Um, Competition in the Markets for Beer, Wine and Spirits. And this was released about a month ago. And, um, you know, it's nothing in it should surprise anyone. I think the two things that stood out to me is, uh, again, something that most people shouldn't be surprised at is that, guess what? There are two major companies (laughs) that dominate the market for beer in this country. 10 guesses who those are. (laughs) Um, And, you know, with that comes a lot of of issues. Um, They are, you know, clearly engaging in monopolization behaviors. Um, If, you know, you all remember U.S. history from high school, you know, what those types of things are. And and they do engage in those kinds of things. Um, And so that's one concern that the Treasury Department identified. And the second is wholesalers, the evil wholesalers. So, you know, I always call the wholesalers, they are a necessary evil, much like myself. So um, the uh, the wholesalers, um, you know, as as most people hopefully presumably know, in order to make or just traffic and sell alcohol, you have to have a permit, a high level, you know, 10,000 foot view. That's what I, I tell my clients. That's what I tell my students when I teach about this. Um, and so the people that take it from from manufacturer to retailer uh play an important role. But what has gone on is they have just been given more power. And post-prohibition, the the idea was to take power away from the manufacturers who at the time had more power. But now the ta- the tables have clearly turned. You know, it's been, you know, quite a long time since prohibition was repealed. And quite frankly, it's it's time for a change. And what the Treasury Department said, you know, the the franchising laws that that mo- a lot of states, you know, um, have when it comes to distribution really, really hurt the little guy. You know, little guy from any alcohol, from beer to wine to spirits, you know, they just, it's very hard for them to get a leg up. And basically the recommendation has been that states need to start pushing towards more direct to consumer shipping laws. Um, so I believe that direct to consumer is going to be the next big revolution in alcohol in the next few years. And I think we're, we're getting, we're in this, this report may be the beginning of it, to be honest with you. I think it may happen faster than we think. And the reason is we have a bit of a, um, you know, a a small company might've heard of them called Amazon that sort (laughs) of has everything ready to go. (laughs) They have the warehouses, they have the people to, to take it from, from A to B. They just need the law. 
They just need to literally go state by state and pass the laws they need. And they are doing that. I happen to know the gentleman here in Tennessee. He is a fantastic individual, he used to be the executive director of the Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission. And that is what he's here to do. Um, and he's going to try to do that one, one state at a time because it's never going to be a federal thing. It's not going to, I'm sorry to tell you, cannabis, yes, alcohol. Sorry, we're not going to see any massive sweeping federal regulation. It's got to be state by state. But once it does happen, I mean, Amazon is going to allow craft distiller in Podunk, wherever, to, brewery, to be able to reach anyone in like two days. And that is a miraculous and wonderful thing. Absolutely astounding thing to happen. Um, and I think those are the two biggest takeaways that I have is that uh, we need to like do something about these big brewers. And what they, what they think is that the direct-to-consumer is going to help with that problem. Because if I can get beer from these, you know, breweries up in Portland and Washington, you know, I'm here in Tennessee, there is no way that I'm getting them unless they start manufacturing closer to where I am or I go there myself. Um, I think that's what's going to open up the, the, the alcohol economy a little bit more is to get, get put, put these smaller craft manufacturers on a, no, I'm not going to say an equal playing field with a Budweiser, because let's just be honest with that. That's not going to happen, but get them a little bit closer, get them a little bit closer. Because the other thing is, you know, the, the, the you know, we all, we all know that Miller Coors and, and Budweiser have been um, acquiring you know, they see a craft, a craft manufacturer, beer manufacturer that's starting to cut into their margins. What do they do? Easiest thing. It happens in every business. They buy them. They buy them. And, you know, people get upset about it. And on one hand, I understand that this industry is, is one that is characterized differently than others. But what they're doing is very common in almost any other industry in the world. Um, but th that might need to stop if, you know, the federal government says, um, you're getting too big for your bridges. But this is another way that I think that could happen. I think that allowing the smaller guys to have a, you know, a, a little bit of a more level playing field will will help with that a lot. Well, and it sounds like some some interesting things are going to happen because I know across a lot of states they're allowing a little bit more self distribution than than they would in the mm -hmm. past based on how big of yeah. a size you are. But it'll be interesting to see. And if you want to, if if you're good with it, you want to stick around and, and chat a little bit more about this report because I mean it wasn't just a couple pages and, and there's a whole <laughs> lot more to dissect. Um, are, are you good to stick around and, and chat a little bit? Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. If you want to hear the full interview, just check out all of our uh, social media and go to hopskers.com as well. Now, with, with that that thought and and and, and so forth, you, you mentioned those two big takeaways. Do you do you ever see it? playing out as simple as that where it's you know they're going to be able to go direct to consumer because so many state laws oh, no. is, and that's and that is why you exist it, your jobs exist is to deal with that um web of the very tangled web that that comes comes about it but do you ever see that kind of direct to consumer because there are some places that can because they mm -hmm. have reciprocity and things like that but do you ever kind of see that going full wide with almost every state being willing yeah, so um, I think this is the kind of, this gives the states kind of the permission to do it. Um, I think at the end of the day, nothing in alcohol is simple or, or not complicated or not dumb, really. Let's just be honest. You know, um, I love what I do um, because it is never the same. No client ever presents with the same situation. Um, you'd think that it would be the same, but it's just simply not every time. 
And obviously the, you know, the industry is innovating and new things are happening. And, and, you know, we're dealing with, with multiple levels of government, federal, state, local, even smaller, whatever those levels are called. And if you, and they have very, you know, round holes. And if you are a star-shaped peg, they don't, they, they don't know what to do with you. And unfortunately the law just doesn't change as fast as the industry innovates. So there will be no clear path to this. There will be no linear path to this. There will be no quick path to this. You know, we have to let the legislature do it, do its job. But at the end of the day, you know, what I tell people as consumers, you know, everybody says, call your Senator call. And I'm like, you can do all of that stuff. But really, where are you going to talk is with your wallet. That's where you're going to speak the most, the widest and, and the loudest volumes that you could ever speak. I, uh, I, I don't think it's a, it's a secret. I am a huge champion of the, of the craft industry. Most of my clients are in the craft industry. I do have several that are, you know, larger and that are distributed nationwide, but you know, they compete with shelf space like everybody else does. They compete with the big guys and the little guys wherever they go. Um, but I think, you know, consumers, you know, the pandemic is, is I think, accelerated and is still accelerating the movement toward direct consumer. You know, we saw changes in alcohol laws happen in three weeks that we haven't seen change in three years, you know. Um, now that was kind of an extenuating circumstance, but it certainly you know, a lot of the, and, and, and you know, most jurisdictions allowed to go alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that's just one very big step in the direction towards direct consumer, because this, the fear of direct consumer, the fear that the, the legislature, the, the lawmakers and pretty much anyone else who's opposed to it are, you know, minors mm -hmm. and minors being able to have more readily, 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 readily accessible means for to alcohol because presumably if you're getting alcohol booze shipped to your house if your 16 year old kid is there fighting for it um yet in the states that allow this we're just not seeing that kind of pervasive um you know um violations going on and let's be real technology can really come in and fill a void of being able to say like common carrier, AKA FedEx, UPS, right now USPS. USPS will probably never be able to do it. And frankly, let's all be honest, we probably don't want them to. Um, Amazon, whoever is dropping alcohol to you, there is going to be, there already is technology to be able to verify the age of whoever is standing in front of you. And if they are not of age, then you don't hand it to them. It's really that simple. You know, I mean, we have facial recognition software. I mean, this is not like so out, so, you know, Jetson type, you know, stuff that it's, it's not going to happen and it's not out of the realm of possibility. So I think that's the biggest barrier, but I think that as states start to feel like, okay, let's see what everybody else is doing. Okay. These guys seem to be making it work. Okay. We're going to try to do it, but with the federal government sort of starting to push them towards that direction, I think we're going to see more of it happen. Um, I really do. I think that is is what's going. Th that is just the, the wave of the future. How quickly it happens, it's all based on how quickly you know the legislative process works itself out. I know we've got you know uh, bills and uh, actually, and I can share this with you later. I have a lovely visual aid. 
this is why I, I got to give credit to my law clerk. So we are tracking um, direct to consumer laws in, in all different types of spirits throughout the country. So the different colored lines that you briefly saw represent a different kind of spirit. And the dotted lines represent the ones that are currently in legislature waiting to be passed. And it's not, we want to see this map fully full of all the different colors. We want to see that happen so that there's just, because truly the other thing that is just really grinds my gears is that wine who has a fantastic lobby and has, has saw the writing on the wall way before beer and way before spirits did. And they just started, you know, really putting this infrastructure in place. So that's why you see there's favorable laws for wine and not as much with beer and spirits. And what I think there shouldn't be any difference. I'm pretty sure that someone can get just as intoxicated off of a certain amount of beer versus, you know, Jack Daniels, but there's this, this, this stigma over whiskey and vodka and spirits versus beer. It's, you know, it's been actually been there since we, we came to this country. Beer was never considered to be as bad as any other spirit was. Um, but in this day and age, it's like, why do we have a difference? There isn't, no one can really understand that. No one, no one can really explain that. So and I think that. I was going to say, and it too. even goes down to um, the, the shipping laws, because wine, for the most part, you can kind of almost have that direct to consumer bit way, way more mm-hmm. um, than you do with, with some of the, the, the others. And it's yep. kind of very, like you said, very interesting that one gets preferential treatment almost over the other two, even though they all do the exact same thing in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's really, quite frankly, it comes down to one of them, the lobby had their, themselves together. They were organized. They saw the future and they went for it. And that's what, that's the difference, you know? Um, and I think beer is starting to get on that train. Spirits, I think, has always wanted to be on that train, but I think that they actually have a higher, like a harder road to, to, to sow there because there's a stigma of it's whiskey, it's high proof, it's can kill you, but I'm pretty sure all of them can kill you, <laughs> you know, when yeah, under, under moderation, a certain moderation. Of Right. <laughs> so to me, it's like, I, I think what's happening now is you're seeing this questioning of why are we, you know, I understand, well, never mind. I'm not going to say that I understand why there are different types of permits for different types of alcohol, because I think we're even questioning that at this point. It's very confusing. That's the other thing is, is the, the other thing that the treasury recommended is to try so that you don't need me <laughs> to navigate through this, this quagmire of permitting and formula approval and, and label approval and the dreaded word of taxes. Like you really do need an attorney. I mean, I, I'm, most of my clients, um, they try to do it on their own and they very quickly are like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to hire somebody with the, with this, with this, the, the expertise. Um, and I don't want to work myself out of a job because trust me, all new terrain will create new legal problems. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, even sometimes I look at stuff and get confused, even though I live this stuff every single day. So it, it, it needs to be more um, simplified. I think there are ways to do that. That's a big order though. It's asking the government to change the way it does things. Well, and, and basically <laughs> you're also asking 50 other governments and then even municipalities yeah. beyond that, which that that's where I think everything gets very interesting because, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, talking to folks, you know, it can be a two year process to be yep. licensed and up and running. I, I, I think the best example right now is folks are going, why can't I get a hard Mountain Dew in every state just instantly? Well, 
ran into some issues and they only got cleared through about three of them right away through this whole lovely mm-hmm. process. And, and they're yeah. who they're working with, you know, Boston beer and others that are well versed yep. in it, but uh, even they run into issues too. the, the bigger guys. And I can of only course. imagine what a small one <laughs> would run into. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, um, and I have permission to, to disclose this. Um, I have a client that I will shout out. It's called hard AF seltzer. Um, they are, you will be able to purchase, uh, only direct to consumer tomorrow. Now, obviously you have to be residing in a state that allows that, um, they are a 8% sugar-based seltzer. It is absolutely fantastic. I have personally tried it. <laughs> it's being made in Tennessee, uh, shipped out of, uh, the state of Florida. And, um, so they, you know, when they came to me and they told me they just wanted to do, um, direct to consumer, I fought them. I fought them probably until about three weeks ago. I'll be honest. I hated this. I hated everything about it Um, because, you know, it's just very expensive and it's not reliable. And those are the problems with direct to consumer is that FedEx and UPS, like you can order some alcohol, but who knows when it's getting to you and beer specifically, you know, it is very temperamental and, and can just go bad just by not putting it in the right, you know, temperature holdings and shaking it around too much and all that kind of stuff. It's, an, it's, it's not a, it's not a hearty, it's not as hearty as wine, you know, it doesn't withstand as much. So I hated this. I hated everything about it. Um, since the treasury report, and since they've explained to me how much massive increase in margin they're making just doing direct to consumer, it is absurd. So they told me that the way the cans are printed now it's uh, basically they're wrapped cans and they're gorgeous. They're matte, you know, but it's expensive. They would only make two to $3 per case by going the traditional distribution route. Direct to consumer, they're making $15 a case. The margin, I mean, it's absurd, absurd. Uh, so they launched yesterday to a VIP um, contingent only. And within less than an hour, they sold 338 cases. And I was just within the first hour. And I mean, I can't wait to see what happens Thursday. I'm a little bit scared because I'm afraid we're going to run out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything they've made is probably, it could very well be sold by the end of this week. So if you want any of it, I suggest you go get it tomorrow when the website opens. Um, it is a very flavor forward seltzer. So if you've tried the seltzers and you're like, don't love it, that was me. Um, they changed my mind about it completely. Now it's a higher caloric seltzer. It's like I said, it's an eight percenter because now you know all, there's most seltzer malt based or I mean they're not all malt based sugar or malt based on the lower alcohol content side. Like I said, these guys are an eight percent, so watch out. Um, very like I said, very flavorful. It's a fantastic product. I'm a very big fan of it, but I am very interested to see what they do. Um, in a, you know they want to keep it direct to consumer for now. They, they don't, they, they have distributors. We have them set up in certain states to, to start getting it into brick and mortar. And they are wanting to hold off because they think they're going to sell out of the first round by the end of the week. And I think they could. It's amazing. Well, and that, and that's a great problem to have. But it also, it goes to show too, like, because when you think of a smaller outfit, you know, the bigger outfits, if you're built for distribution, that's one thing, you know, because you're mass producing, you're, you're going volume. Mm-hmm. and so forth that way but if you're a smaller outfit it's it's hard to do volume because you just don't have mm-hmm. the space and the capital the money yeah. that it takes so to go to direct you know to consumer 
um, allows you to have that ability and, and mm-hmm. actually make a little bit of money. Cause like you said, there's not yeah. a whole lot of money made, uh, any, any beer you see, anything you see on the shelves, there, there's not much that the, um, the actual producer made off of that just because of, of kind of how it's set up. Now, I guess for, for my last question is, were there any other interesting takeaways from that treasury report mm-hmm. and that, that stood out to you? Yeah. So, you know, other things that they recommended, I have several notes here because it was a lengthy report. Um, you know, the TTV really needs to consider making, like I said, making new rules to make it easier for smaller players to figure out things like permitting your COLA, so certificate of label approval, classes of alcohol, bottle sizes, like all of this stuff is just, which type of alcohol are you? Okay, now you've got this whole set of rules. Okay, are we this one? Now it's all this whole set of rules. And oh wait, there's this whole set. That's just at the federal level. Then we go down to the state level and all of that could get completely flipped right on its head. You know, it's, <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what, the TT, what the TTV classifies as one thing, we may not classify as the same thing. You know, ciders, perfect example. Guess what? You get to choose who you want to be. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a beer? Or do you want to be a wine? I mean, so it does obviously matter what it's made of as a base, but, you know, you kind of get to pick which one you want to be. Who has the better laws? You know, beer doesn't have that wondrous, you know, ability to do that. And it's just, it gets very, very convoluted and confusing. And then again, I haven't even said the word tax. But as I say to all of my clients and my students, at the end of the day, alcohol, you cannot say the word alcohol with the word tax in it. Um, that's why it says the alcoholic, you know, and tobacco and tax and treat, you know, it's because you, you can't, you cannot say alcohol with, without tax. The tax man must always get paid when it comes to alcohol. And they're probably the ones that are probably the staunchest about wanting to change any of this, you know. Here, is, here in the good old state of Tennessee, we have some of the highest liquor by the drink tax in the country. So if you buy an alcoholic beverage, to, you know, you go to a bar and buy a, a drink, you've got the hefty 9.25% um, uh, sales tax. And then you can add on top of that a 14% liquor tax. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sorry. No, the t- yeah, no, I'm right about that. And it's just absurd how much tax it is. And that's not, if you order a beer, it's not on it. Interesting. You don't have that tax yet. So, I mean, that's just one state example of how certain things work. Um, Let's see. Yeah, so I mean, really, they're really pushing, the really big thing was that pushing that the state government should evaluate their rules between the three tiers and look for ways they can increase competition. So it's really about how do you increase competition? And I think they basically told them how to do it, which is you need to take some of this power away from the wholesalers so that you can give these little guys a chance to start competing with the big guys. But I also think they may need to start putting some restrictions on your Budweiser and Millicores of, of what they're purchasing. You know, um, I think that's going to happen. You know, I was talking to my client yesterday and they said, you know, at some point we might get attractive enough for a Budweiser. And I'm like, I think that if you, you know, a year ago before the treasury report, yeah. But I think that now I would, you know, any transaction they do is going to be highly scrutinized. So that may help for a little while. Um, it's really just, you know, creating more, creating a, an even playing field. I think that is really what, and I think it's a good thing. I think this, this report is long overdue um, mm-hmm. in so many ways. I understand why. I mean, we probably could have had this report pre, pre-COVID, but you know, COVID. 
So now COVID, as we know, was a fantastic time for manufacturers. You know, I don't have a single manufacturer that didn't grow during COVID. Every single one, all the way down to local brewery that is not even distributing outside their tap room <laughs> and still growing. And that's great. And I'm so happy to, to see that. But, you know, at what point is it things going to level out and go back to normal where everybody kind of stays in their lane? And I think that's the difference is that we, we need to prevent that from happening. Well, and, and like you said, too, uh, modern, modernization and being able to adapt on all the levels because, you know, five years ago, a hard seltzer probably wasn't thought of, you know, I'm mm-hmm. talking to others, you know, agave spirits, <laughs> they had to work through that because it didn't exist. And there were distillers wanting to do that and, and so forth. So, yeah. um, and, and who knows what, what will come next, but again, mm-hmm. they need to actually be able to not take six months or a year to figure out how to properly label things and, and allow folks to actually really be able to build a business. Yeah, I think there needs to be more of a spirit of not trying to shove everything into three buckets. You're either a wine, a distilled spirit, or a beer. You know, seltzer is called an internal revenue beer, whatever the heck, whoever came up with that name, you know, mead, mead, perfect. Another, another area that's growing in popularity, considered a wine. Okay, why? You just, because, I mean, I, honestly, I think it could have been, it could have really gone either way with that, but that's where they decided to put it. You know, RTDs, you know, Mm -hmm. I love the RTDs. I think they're wonderful, but I think there's, um, I think there should be a push that, you know, if you make an RTD, that's that, yes, I think the base alcohol is a spirit, you know, vodka, tequila, whatever, but it's on a lower on the scale alcohol level. Why can't it be next to the seltzer? You know, I mean, I think those questions are perfectly um, legitimate to ask here. Uh, And so, like I said, I mean, I wish that I had more ability to make anything, you know, happen and change, but I don't, but truly it is the consumer. The consumers can really drive change depending based on where they want to spend their money. Um, and if consumers start going to some of these online platforms and spending their money there, as opposed to, you know, your, your grocery store, so to speak, that could change things you know, always follow where the money is going to go at the end of the day. And, and I think what, you know, a lot of people are afraid of is Amazon coming into the game because Amazon will blow so many, I mean, Amazon will change things almost overnight. I mean, if we want to talk about something that will change when, when it, when it's time, because for anyone to say that Amazon's not going to get in this game, they're very, they're sleeping under a rock because it's going to happen. And when they get in the game, I mean, I, 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 if I'm a distributor, I'm scared death. I'm scared death because I really think that with the pandemic and with Amazon coming in the game, I'm thinking to myself, why on earth would I go anywhere? (laughs) You know, I, I, I think there will still be a place for wholesalers, but I think they're going to have to very much rethink how they do business. And that could mean what I would love to see is being more competitive letting, doing away with these lifetime exclusive contracts with your manufacturers. Come on. It's ridiculous. In the state of Tennessee, if you want to get out of your distribution contract, you have to go make an appeal to the Department of Revenue. No other type of contractual arrangement on earth requires that. You have to have a good faith reason. And you never have it because there's no obligation for them to do anything in this contract. So that's number one. Number two, if you, you can get out of your contract, if you discontinue selling your brand for an entire year, 
and then you can get out. Other than that, you're married for life. Now they can sell you off whoever they want. And it's like, well, how, so then how federal government did you not expect for the, the world to turn out the way it is? If you're going to literally hamstring manufacturers, the moment they come out the gate, because there comes a point, yeah, self-distribution is wonderful. And I encourage every client of mine to engage in it up to a year. But then I say to them, you're going to come to a point where you are either driving your product all over the creation or you're making it, which are you? And you have to decide which one you are. And most of the time it's they're making it. Mm-hmm. So eventually you have to sign with a distributor. So there, hence the necessary evil. And at that point, I'm just like, so, so they're going to get, fantastic, but let's just be honest. They have hundreds of brands and are they going to push the biggest sellers? Of course they are. And you would too, if you were in their position, they're, they're in a situation where they just can't get ahead. I think that is a really big issue for them. So I think that Amazon coming in could really force a lot of change because they now have to compete because now if you go to your, your brewery to pick up your order and they're like, Oh, we're out, we don't need you anymore. Well, then they're going to have you forced to make some changes. They're going to be forced to go to these breweries and say, this is what we can do for you. Maybe have some contracts that have termination clauses. Oh God. Um, Amazing. Termination clauses. Um, quotas, things they have to do for you to earn your business. Oh my Lord, it would be a brand new day. I <laughs> well, love and to see that. And, and who knows, maybe one day we will. And, and, and until yes. then, hopefully uh, some folks actually take, take this report and actually do a little bit with it. And, and we so. do see at least the right step in, or, you know, some steps in the right direction, kind of like we did see with, with the pandemic, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the, the to go cocktails, to go drinks that for the yeah. longest time were not allowed. And lo and behold, not a whole lot bad happened. Uh, during, I know, during amazing, that right? <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I'm sure people did die and get pregnant, but I think collectively the nation did, you know, it, like with, I'm not, I'm not talking about the pandemics per se, but like allowing to go alcohol did not cause like, you know, a mass hysteria into sin. <laughs> no, it, it does not. And, and that's why, but who knows when, like I said, when, when this will happen and, and you know what, we'll probably have plenty more to talk about here in the future mm-hmm. with you, Rachel. I appreciate the time and, and sharing the knowledge because it's a very big report to just and a little over my head. And I think a lot of folks said when you really get into this and then it's can't imagine other people on. would want to read it. <laughs> Me, <laughs> page turner. <laughs> 